My Coast Guard aides have been excellent. One of them taught me that, and I quote, the Coast Guard is that hard nucleus about which the Navy forms in time of war. I can only assume that you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are quite, you're a really dull class. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on Earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Wow. Hello and welcome to the Variety Program on a good Tuesday. Good Lord, our president is a disaster. Yikes, that's rough. That a is rough. Flat. It really fell a little flat, huh? I mean, Ooh. granted, it's tough to follow the, you know, the great communicator, but Biden is just like, is there even a pulse there? Good God. I mean, that's a, a 77-year-old Ronald Reagan versus a 78-year-old Joe Biden. Damn. Mm. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Mm. That makes things even worse. And like uh, the New York Times had a story the other day where they're like, uh, Joe Biden eats like an infant. Like he likes pudding and stuff. And I'm like, wow. I, I wonder why. I really wonder why. Well, there, I mean, there was a story late last week. We've had this happen a couple of times, but where they invite all Republicans down. You recall like two weeks ago, it was their first big meeting over the infrastructure thing. And Biden's like, oh, yeah, well, let's do a deal. And then like the end of last week, there were the, the staff, only the staff met with Senate Republicans. And they're like, eh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much become his, his go to go to thing is is uh, everything he has promised. He is completely failing on completely Ugh. failing on like he announced uh you uh he's he's not going to do the like student uh you know debt program that was a lie like yep. everything he like he he was mad at trump about the wall he was like oh we can't let you know walls divide us he after after uh that crisis started at the border he's like actually guys uh you need to get back to work on building that wall <laughs> i feel like um i feel like you know biden gets into these negotiations with republicans his 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 staff probably have outfitted him with some sort of like life alert bracelet oh, you yes. know for when he goes he goes a little too far he can just hit the button and they can come in and save him like whoa calm down joe I, that is absolutely believable i think that's fact <laughs> so listen we got a big episode here we've got the mayor of san diego kevin faulkner uh he's here because of last week's program right and uh, I think you're going to love the interview. He definitely gets the joke. Uh, yeah, I, I want to make this extremely clear for everyone. So uh, last week, we were scheduled to have uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who's running for governor of California, on the show. Her folks were like, yeah, we got it confirmed. We, we double-checked day before. We're like, hey, just a reminder, you know, this is the time for the interview. Folks are like, yep, good, good to go. Uh, so we're all sitting there waiting for Caitlin to show up and just a no show. And then her folks are just like scrambling for excuses. Uh, bottom line, like get your shit together, especially if you're running for office. And another person running is Kevin Faulkner, who, Hey, he showed up. Turns out he's a fan of the program. Yep. Even better. 
So, you know, we, we had a nice conversation. I think you all enjoy it. The other thing that we need to talk about, Duncan, where's the merch? Right? Where's Come the on. merch? We've I been get waiting. so many the questions merch. about this. Can you just let the merch start going out? Um, this is an ambush. So it's Duncan's decision. <laughs> How dare you? Because the merch is already ready to go. And all Duncan has to do is be like, here's the, he has to push some button on a computer, I think. And that makes the merch. Start this is out. just classic boomer. And, and, and for our, for our younger <laughs> listeners, you'll understand if, you, if your job involves a computer in any way, shape or form, and you have somebody in the office come over to you and be like, yeah, just push the internet button and make yeah. it happen. That's really how they think it works. And of course that's not true. Uh, yes. The merch is created. Uh, but for quality assurance, we are getting samples first delivered to the office so we can see the merchandise in person before we put it up for sale. So, look, I, I'm not going to be bullied into giving you a don't let him for a, a second, uh, don't let him for a second try to lead you down the pathway that this is a technological issue. He is an artist. He likes to put it's, it in it's one of these like fancy, fancy things. Yeah. Where he, he you know, this hey, is... I'll tell you what, you know, I appreciate the fact he, he knows our folks deserve only the best. So he wants to make sure it's perfect. But I'm just saying, just hit the like, uh, you know, you're just saying the internet button, something about that. So if you just push that, I think it'd work out. I push the internet button and, and the shirts will be there. Okay. Good news. So the internet button's happening. You guys should have merch soon. Anyway, uh, Let's move on. Guys, I saw this and we just have to we have to talk about it because I think it falls kind of in the animal fighting category of <laughs> which is a popular genre apparently. The popular genre, but it, this is I mean I think this actually has a lot of different um, ways to come to go about it. The average I saw this thing, the average person thinks that they can survive in the wilderness for 2 weeks. Right? The complete wilderness. There's a study done and it's, it's the survey of 2,000 people. And the average person feels like they can survive two weeks. Um, I don't think you could make it nine hours smug. Are you kidding me? In the wilderness? Yeah. With ease. With ease. I mean, here's the thing. So uh, a lot of folks don't know this, but I was a Boy Scout growing up uh, you know, in Colorado, which is like a no-joke <laughs> state. This is not like, you know, I, I was, you know, a Boy Scout in Hawaii and we're just hanging out on the beach. This is real deal stuff, right? Uh, you know, we'd go out camping in, in, in true wilderness. This is Colorado. Yet again, I reiterate. I could, I mean, the, the first question I have is, are, by wilderness, what are they talking about? Are we talking about like woods? Are we talking about like rainforest? Well, are we, like look, Alaska? Like it's, it makes a big difference because like- They give it a little bit, they give a little bit of a way, right? So they also, they have a, a question- only 17% feel very confident in their ability to start a fire, mm. right? Which goes to show like the majority of people think they can survive without fire. What they're suggesting, we've got some temperature issues to deal with here, right? And some yeah. cooking issues to deal with. You can't basically can't survive without fire. Smug, can you can you start a fire? Yeah. So I have this no study tools. in front of me. It says it's no, it says uh only 17% feel very confident in their ability to start a fire with flint. If I've got flint, I got fire. Okay. Bottom line, that's a done deal. Like the only the only question to me is like, what biome am I worrying about here? Am I going to have to like, you know, hunt down boa constrictors and whatever in the Amazon? Am I going after wolves in the Arctic? What's the food chain look like? Because I have it covered. I I, I got it covered, except for you know, rainforest is going to be tough. 
a lot of people don't realize this. Like I talked to, you know, a bunch of Vietnam veterans when you're in a place that rains a lot, it's tough. It's so like things you don't think about are impossible, impossible. All right. So let me just give you, I'll just give you a scenario. First of all, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that discovery show naked and afraid? No, you were telling me about Great it. Great show. Great I show. need to see this. I need yeah. to see this. But so it's, the key, the, the, the key to all of this, and you're talking about, you know, fighting boa constrictors or wolves or whatever, but really the key is a couple of things. Number one, managing to stay dry and, and building shelter totally, and fire and then a water source. Because here's the thing, two weeks, you can, you can survive two weeks in the wilderness on very little food. The thing you yeah. cannot survive without is water. And so being able to boil water from a water source or collect enough rainwater is really key to your survival. And that's, I mean, that's a big part of Naked and Afraid. I'm a big fan of that show, by the way. Oh, it's the best show. It's so great. And it like, they basically, the premise of the show is that they drop one man and one woman off in the middle of this like deserted area, whether it's a jungle, a desert, what have you, completely naked with like one tool, right? It's one tool, right? So some people choose a knife, some people choose a lighter or something, whatever, you get one thing. And then you just kind of wander the earth and see if you can figure it out. And like basically nobody, I mean, very few people make it to the end of the two weeks, right? Because the first thing is somebody, they're trying to figure out how to put a leaf over their groin area, right? Which is like, seems like a priority at the time. Yeah. Week two, nobody gives no, a shit about no, the leaf. No, no, not at all. You got to worry about feet, hands, and head, you know, where, where the heat escapes the body because we're in survival mode. This isn't about modesty, folks. You're in the jungle. You're in the I, jungle. Could, I mean, let's, let's be serious. I could survive for an exceedingly long time, a, a very long time in the wilderness. So I'm going to give you a scenario. As long as it's not like, you know, Antarctic, like super Arctic, I probably couldn't hack it. Uh, you know, like real deal jungle stuff where there's just like the, you know, like in the Amazon where there's like 500 animals that are trying to kill you. Yeah, I'd probably get killed there. But other than that, you know, like, like in the U S for the most part, I think I got it anywhere in the U S except for like, you know, death Valley. Like I'm not trying to like go like hard in the paint, but like for the most part, yeah, I think I got most of the U S down. So we can drop you like basically in the mountains of Appalachia by yourself yeah. Oh, and I'll have a great time. I'm like a wolf, man. I can like adopt, you know, adapt to my situation and environment very quickly. Can you identify plants and berries? I'm I'm only eating meat, dude. See, that's the thing. It's like I don't worry about poison ivy. No, I don't on. worry about like poison things. I'm just finding animals. They're getting killed. They're getting cooked. And they're getting eaten. Well, that's I'll the key go. to survival. Like imagine trying to be vegan in the jungle. Like every animal is trying to eat another animal and you're like, I'm going to be vegan. No, no, no. You don't survive that way. So I watched, and this is another really great show, um, Alone on Netflix. Fantastic show. Highly recommend it. The, the, seri- uh, the season that they have on Netflix is where they're in Alaska. And the one thing that you really learn in um, the foraging and gathering and hunting part of it is like, it's all math, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like all the work you go into hunt prey is a calorie count, a negative calorie count against you. Yep. And, you know, to survive two weeks, you don't have to eat that much food. So you're yep. better off trapping and foraging than going out and, and covering miles away from camp to try to hunt some huge game. Yeah, like it's not gonna be fun, but you gotta like focus on like rabbits and such. If you're trying to take down like elk, 
buddy, there's a lot of work involved in taking down an elk. <laughs> but I mean, that's not uh, an elk. An elk is similar to a horse. You're telling me you couldn't take down an elk? Well, here's the thing: is that's we're talking about one on one. We're not talking about hunting. Oh. Like I can't run down a horse, but I could take it if it's coming at me. <laughs> Unsuspecting as it might be. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Okay. All right. I feel like, look, I like my chances in surviving two weeks longer than you two idiots, but I, I take your point. I take your point. We've got a, um, and the meat thing is a nice segue, actually. Perfect, right? Yeah. The meat thing is a nice segue. Speaking of the importance of eating meat to survive. Yeah. The importance of eating meat. We decided today to do five minutes with folding. And so despite being a vegetarian, great guy, great journalist now. A great journalist, which is why we had him on. And I'd like to bring him on. We'll, we'll talk about how this segment flows. But what the first thing I'd like him to do is just to sort of lay out a story that we've been talking about here on the program, that he is, is the only one who unearthed and continued yep. to write about that is actually an important story that people deserve to hear but if they subscribe to the Washington Post, the New York Times, or any other English-speaking word other than the free beacon, they don't know shit about. Matthew Foldy, welcome to the program. Gentlemen, it's great to be back here on the program. And I actually think if Smug and I went in the jungle together, he'd eat the meat, I'd eat the vegetables, two weeks would be no problem. But it, right, it is- Foldy. Let's get to the story. So <laughs> you were covering uh, the situation with Jen Granholm, right? Is that her name? Yes, that is What's her name. The story? So, Smug, I want to talk to you today real quick about a story that if it had happened in the Trump administration would actually have the mainstream media's attention. But Jen Granholm is the Secretary of Energy, and she is in charge of the nation's electric vehicle battery systems. Biden put her in charge of that in February. Okay. She currently owns, as you and I sit here right now, between one and five million dollars of stock in an electric battery company. Isn't that convenient? Oh, but it actually wow. get much, wor much worse in terms of the self-dealing in this administration. Biden himself has boosted this event. He virtually visited it on April 20th, the Wait, same so, day. So she started. has she, her job uh, as energy secretary. One of the things she's been doing is promoting these like self, you know, car charging stations, like, you know, kind of like how Tesla has their things that like mm -hmm. you, you charge your car or whatever. Yep. Uh, and she, because she owns between one and five mil of the stock and Biden's been out there pushing this company that she owns the stock in pretty What's wild the, the yes. company proterra wow and and some republicans are starting to push on this ted cruz has already called it the next solyndra uh echoing you know one of the biggest uh high profile fights of the obama administration but as you guys have said before you know the same obama people are now back and it seems like they're bringing some of their previous practices right there with them so that's that's what we'll talk about holmes to, to answer your question and now uh what else have you guys got well, listen, let's hold on, hold on here, because we want to get in, we want to get into the timeline of everything. I'd like you to give everybody a full explanation. Yeah, Make, let, let, let's hear a, a very brief and concise, connect the dots for us, Foldy, what exactly happened? Why should we be concerned? Yeah. All right. That So next month, Proterra is scheduled to go public. And when companies go public, their stockholders make a lot of money. Jen Granholm said during her confirmation that she would divest her stake in Proterra within 180 days. That is well within the time frame of this company going public. But let's look at how the stock value has increased since Biden took office. You can see when he first uh, started touting this company, its stock immediately started going up. Then like the rest of the economy, he crashed for a little bit, but then the stock has continued to rise. 
because the Biden administration continues pushing for vehicle. April 19th, Kamala visits one of the largest partners of Proterra in North Carolina. April 20th is when we write our first story, the same day that Biden uh, does a virtual visit with Proterra in the White House. He says at the end, Wait, guys, I'll be back in person. He did, a, he did a visit pushing Proterra? He did a visit, the entire visit. It was one of the few companies he used to specifically tout his infrastructure bill was the company that Granholm continues to own. And the White House confirmed to us that she still owns up to $5 million of stock in this company. Wow, so like self-dealing, is, is, self-dealing is infrastructure now. Okay. <laughs> self-dealing is, is in fact infrastructure. All but right. then they don't even care because they know that they're going to have cover from their allies in the media by them not covering it. Yep. Three days after our story, the Biden State Department hosts a, a leaders forum of, of prime ministers from around the world. And in back-to-back panels, they have Granholm and then the CEO of Proterra. They don't even care. We have. Are you serious? On the same panel. Back to back panels. Yeah. They don't even care. It's just so egregious. Reckless, even. I mean, like, I know I've said it before that, like, being like, it's not effective to argue, oh, imagine Trump did this. I mean, sure, for a second, you absolutely should. You absolutely should imagine if the previous administration had done anything like this what the outrage would be. And the fact that there's media silence tells you their game plan completely. I mean, entirely right. I mean, there was a couple of cabinet secretaries under Trump that, that filed their financial disclosures incorrectly. And it was like front page news. These people are telling you, hey, mm-hmm. you know the company I'm promoting from my official government place? That is a company I have millions of dollars of investments and in. On the, that's just like beyond shameless. It's because they have the confidence of knowing, oh, the media will cover. Well, if it wasn't for Matthew Foldy. Yeah. So what happens next, Foldy? So next month is when Proterra is going public. And uh, at this point, if I'm Granholm, I'm just going to wait until it goes public, sell it off, and know that only Free Beacon and the Ruthless Variety program are going to care at all in the media about it. And I'll be out here with generational wealth for my family. That that would be my expectation is starting next month, the company is scheduled to, to IPO. But there have been a couple of Republicans, John Barrasso and Ralph Norman from Wyoming and South Carolina, respectively, on the Hill, who've been making some, some noise about this being you know a pretty serious and glaring ethics problem. But yeah, CNN took two and a half weeks to write about this from when we first published. I'm surprised they did. And Granholm was also a former CNN contributor. So, uh, but outside of that, there's been very little. Politico did a tiny bit, but it's basically just the free beacon. My colleague Colin Anderson and I are writing about how this company is tied to the wealthiest Democratic donors, like the Pritzker family. So the more well, the that's Biden- the, That's has- the thing. That's, that's the question I got. So one thing I've really noticed of this is while the media isn't covering the story, Granholm's allies are totally covering for her. Like, uh, you know, those hacks at MFA ran a, a piece defending her, but they didn't refute any of the facts. Which media, is what, Media matters, you're talking about. Media matters, yeah. Media matters. They didn't refute a single thing you reported. It was pretty hilarious, actually. I read the whole thing. They, they took a couple issues with how a couple others in conservative media reported the story. But every single thing that we documented in the Free Beacon was entirely unrebutted. And I believe they also failed to note that they paid Jen Granholm $200,000 as a senior advisor. They mentioned in the last sentence they had some affiliation with her, but they've paid her six figures. And I didn't even know know, that. Yeah, now they're running to, to cover for her.
So this is, look, we've talked about this a lot in the program about how there is no, don't whine about media, mm-hmm. right? There's no accountability any longer. It's us versus them. Mm-hmm. It's programs like Ruthless. It's outlets like the Free Beacon. It's patriots like Matthew Foldy. We have, we have, we have talked about how if there was a true and just world that the Pulitzer would be awarded for, for works like this. And we, we talked, I think we mentioned this like a month ago. Well, you know what? It's gaining some steam. It's gaining some steam. Do we have audio on, of the Fox News of our good friend of the program, Dana Perino? Also, my last point is, I've brought this up before. I just can't believe that there aren't reporters that want to drive news on the fact that the Secretary of Energy, Secretary Granholm, has all of this multi-millions of stock in electric <laughs> car company batteries. I, I'm just like, that's a story. It's like, he's got Pulitzer written right all over it, and nobody wants to touch it. Pulitzer for Foldy, I think it needs to become a movement. This is a very straightforward situation. You have uh, the Secretary of Energy, right? You have a cabinet position who is who has an ownership stake in a company that they are having the administration push, that Joe Biden has showed up to push because they have a significant financial stake in that company. And when it goes public, they've already had these events where the president, the vice president, everyone is touting this company that you have shares in. It's unbelievable. Like this is beyond unethical. This is criminal that this is allowed to happen, but it's also it's allowed to happen because the media are enablers. For years, they they tried gaslighting you into thinking that, oh my gosh, the Trump administration is doing this, 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 this. Uh, we're gonna have a return of civility. And look at this. This is it, it, it's the most corrupt government uh, self dealing I've heard of in a very long time, and it's happening right in front of you, folks. It's corruption. It's the definition of corruption. Yep. That's what it is. It's when government employees use the government to promote their own self-wealth. That's what, that's what this is. That's what's happening here. And our, good, and our very own Matthew Foldy got to the bottom of it. I don't think we're at the bottom of this yet, folks. The, the, the story is ongoing. Uh, outstanding work, Foldy. Thank you so much for being on the program. What do we got next on the docket? All right. So uh, you all may have heard about the bantering back and forth about the Royals and about uh, BBC and how uh, Martin Bashir, who was working for the BBC at the time and became a media celebrity as a result of the interview that he conducted with Diana, has come under scrutiny about how he actually obtained the interview. And there's no way for us to discuss this without bringing in royal expert and Hollywood expert, Hollywood Hen. Yes, I'm here. And this was a highly requested minion segment, I have to say. Yeah. They, they ask and we give, we give the people what they want. That's right. Yeah, I um, legit have no idea what this is about. I okay, remember there so was some me... <laughs> uh, interview with Bashir and Princess Di. But okay, let that, me break no this idea. down for you. I'll break it down for you, Smug. So back in 1995, as we probably all remember, Martin Bashir with BBC did a bombshell interview with Princess Diana. This was the interview um, where she famously dropped that line, there were three of us in this marriage, remember, referring to Charles and Camilla's alleged affair at the time. Oh, yeah. So it was this crazy, huge, you know, she was lifting the veil on what royal life was really like, and it colored the royal family very negatively. 
Um, but it was just a huge interview in the mid nineties. So fast forward to now, um, an investigation was just, uh, an investigation was just released at the end of last week. And they found that Bashir had hired a graphic designer to forge bank statements and checks that made it seem as though Diana and Prince Charles's closest advisors were secretly being paid to spy on Diana. Wow. And then, so he used those forged bank statements to leverage Earl Spencer, who is Diana's brother, into arranging a meeting with the princess to secure the interview. So basically the interview was arranged under, under an entirely false pretense. Um, and a lot of people think that it's what influenced what Diana, what Diana disclosed and said to Bashir. Um, and they also think that it led you know, that all his lies and these forged statements um, led to her not trusting anyone around her and like the paranoia and isolation that kind of followed for, um, you know, the years to come. Um, her brother, after this was um, released, her brother said that he draws a direct line between the BBC interview and her tragic death two years later because she was so basically untrustworthy, untrust, uh, she didn't trust anyone. And she was so isolated that she was basically without any form of real protect protection at the end of her life. So, I mean, so the, the, just to break this down for people who don't follow the Royal, cause I don't really, but I remember this being a very big deal. Very big deal. Yeah. I remember this being a very big deal. And Basically, what we're talking about is that she wasn't going to do any interviews with anybody, but he produced a bunch of documents that were all forged, suggesting that she was being spied upon by by UK. her closest advisors and people. Yeah, exactly. All the people around her. And, and they were like, all right, so, you know, this is happening. We have evidence of it. We're going to report on it. Why don't you do an interview? Well, and they, so they were saying, look, these people are going to be leak are, are getting paid to leak information about you. You know, you can't trust any, anyone around you. They're getting paid to leak info. Why don't you come on and you tell your story directly? Yeah. So give it to us straight. Right. Give it to us straight. Like, you know, then, then we can hear your side unfiltered and um, you know, how bad would you feel if you were her brother and I've gotten totally duped and you were the one that encouraged her to do the interview based on those pretenses. You know, my first reaction is like how quaint of a time in media where you actually had to invent, like they, they actually, they actually forged documents today. They just lie about it. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Today it'd be like, Oh, this exists. We've heard it from a couple of background sources. Right. They well, said the best, this happened. I mean, I have to say Bashir, I mean, he apologized but he he denies that the interview like or the way that he secured the interview had any effect on Diana at all. He was like everything we did in terms of the, of the interview was as she wanted, when she wanted, how she wanted, you know, its contents were exactly what she wanted to say, whether these documents are forged or not or not, you know, she would have said the same thing. Um, but Prince William, let me tell you. Yeah, future, let's hear what what was the reaction? King, this guy he penned his own statement um, uh, following, following the report, and he read it direct to camera, which is the first time that he's ever done something like that on you know, a, personal, a personal matter. Um, and he said um, it was his view um, 
that the, defe- the deceitful way the interview was obtained substantially influenced what my mother said. The interview was a major contribution to making my parents' relationship worse and has since hurt countless others. Um, it holds no legitimacy and should never be aired again. Mm. You, you know, I, I hear all this and honestly, I don't think he's the bad guy. If you think about this. So her- you don't think you don't think Bashir's the bad guy? No. Oh, no. I want to hear this. No. So here's I mean her, let, let's look at the results of Diana. So she was a terrible mom, you know, a terrible wife. What? Uh, oh she raised God. her kids to hate America. Um, it's so- it's very clear. It's very clear. You know, she wasn't a good wife at all. I th- think she was a good mom. Nope. Awful mom. Like <laughs> if your kids grow up hating America, you did something wrong. Right. Yep. And there's a lot wrong there. Well, I don't think William hates America. No, no. He probably does. You can't trust these people. They're still mad about like uh, losing. You know, they, th- these people, these are the same people who tried to bring down the, the, the White House in the War of 1812. You think we forget? We don't forget. Uh, I'm not going to feel sympathy for these people. You know, good work, Bashir. We know what these people do. We know what they're <laughs> capable of. Uh, well, she, she, was just, she, was, she was not a nice lady at all. An absolute snake. So, so what year was this interview? 1995. All right. Can you imagine what like a graphic designer to forge documents cost in 1995? <laughs> that is true. You got to give and, them like, that very credit. Specific bank statements. Like like before like Photoshop and like you know Fiverr and freelancing. Yeah, Bashir hires the best people. Like that that was probably a very expensive thing to go into trying to get that graphic designer. I mean, I can only imagine that invoice. I just think he gaslit her. You know. She already had issues trusting people and she was so isolated and paranoid. And I think it just really did a number on her squash after that. So here's, hanging out with especially when it comes head. to these like, you know, royal, you know, and celebrity types. Think about what we get. So Bashir got us in an interview where we finally learned what these crazy people are like, right? And I'm supposed to feel bad for her? Like, well, she died, dude. You know, and Crown Jewels and stuff. Well, who's, whose fault was that? It's oh not Bashir's. God. It's her fault. Right? It's her she, fault. It's her, it's her fault. How is it her fault? She, she wasn't she driving was, the she car. She was with what's her name? Like uh, her lover going like a hundred miles an hour through some French. Yeah, because towns. she what was being chased happened, by man? paparazzi. <laughs> as a result of this interview. I right. mean, here's the thing: is if you're being chased by paparazzi, you think the answer is going a hundred miles an hour through the streets of Paris? That's probably the worst decision made. She wasn't no, it's also, trying. It's also. It also. Like, I feel like it reflects every car I've different... been in where I, 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 if the driver tries going 100 miles an hour, all I say is slow down, buddy. There's three <laughs> magic words. You end up not dying. Wow. It's a very hot take, Smug. <laughs> Such a hot take. I don't really know how to re- I don't I don't really know how to be to respond to that. Yeah, to I love honest. the bad mom thing, which is a monster of a mother and terrible. The thing, she couldn't have been a bad mom, though, because her sons love her and defend her. Very I mean, because that's, you know, natural, you know. No matter how awful good mom. Parent is. I mean, she was a, probably a good mom. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Terrible oh, there's mother. An argument Her kid to be hates made America. The there's, a, there's an argument to be made on the Okay, hair. well, listen. listen and who's the, the dad? I mean, he's a redhead. Come on. Charles is brunette. <laughs> Jesus. Who's the dad? Uh, kidding. Disclaimer. Parody. Joking. Parody. Parody. Let, me, let, let me just read you. Let me just read you one line of um, Harry's statement because their statements were quite different. Um, you know, so... William just kind of goes through and just dismantles everyone involved at BBC and everything and just, you know, slams them in a locker. Prince Harry, one of his lines of his statement is, to those who have taken some form of accountability, thank you for owning it. That is the first step towards justice and truth. 
Oh God. I just I He's can't just with I, I can't with the, with the LA ness of that statement. It is. It is. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I hate that's him. That's what I'm talking about. I, I feel him. bad for Charles and uh, Bashir. I think those are the victims in the story. Um, I, w- I will say Prince Charles, as of now, has not put out any formal statement. Bingo. Um, that's but, class. But that's he told class. AIDS, he, he told AIDS, and I think they like leaked it out, that he wants the BBC to stop airing the interview. I mean, that's the way to do it, is, is you send folks to, to, to go do the work. But hey, I mean, imagine being a royal person and trying to be out there in the media and fighting and, and going on Oprah. Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's all. Harry, let's just be clear. Harry's a little too much at this point. Yeah. All of his. I mean, you know what? And I, it's 100% his wife. Like, everyone knows she's calling the shots there. You know, good for her. She, she, she got herself, uh, you know, a, a, a prince. I just have to say, too, you know, <laughs> I like, I like. I like men to be emotionless and Harry's just all over the place. His statement is all over the place. He's, you know, every single emotion is dripping from that guy. Meanwhile, you just have Prince William coming down and just, you know, dropping the hammer like At a real some man. Point we're going to have to examine uh, Hollywood Hen's 1950 conception of the modern man, because I really <laughs> appreciate it. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I think what she's driving at there is a stoicism. Right. Oh, that's right. What happened to the Gary Cooper strong, silent type? I mean, I did, right. no, truly though, truly though, you can't. T- I don't want to know every single emotion nope. that Dude, that nope. man is feeling. Nope. It's like if if I wanted that, I'd talk to my girlfriends. You yeah, know, I love yeah. it. This is such a hot take. I mean, I here's the base. thing: is like if, if you're a guy, here's a guy to emotions. Keep them inside. Don't let. Yeah, them like, like like you should you know this be, from childhood. You can be strong and sturdy like Prince William and not be unfeeling. I just don't need to know everything all the time. And Harry's just gone off the deep end where he's telling us every inner thought that he ever had in his past, you know, 30 X years. It's too mm. much. It's so good. It's mm. so good. No, Hanneberg, this is going to be secretly our most controversial segment of all time because you've actually decided that uh, a little bit of man is good in men. Right. Yeah, it's that's shocking. True. I might, I, don't at me people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for, for explaining that to us because otherwise we would have absolutely no idea. Yeah, no problem. It's a crazy story. (laughs) All right. So let's move on. We've got one story that has been a shocker to almost all of the world, except for Tom Cotton. Right. Which is a story that was printed in the wall street journal originally. Um, about how three Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers became sick in November of 2019. Sick enough where they sought hospital care for symptoms that were, you know, I think described as consistent with COVID-19. Wow. Right? And I've seen some people go back and do like a fat face match with the people who work there and they were all in like their 20s and 30s and 40s. And like what you know about COVID-19 now, if you were sick enough to go to hospital care, yep. like you were pretty damn sick, mm-hmm. right? So what's so fascinating about this story is you've got the WHO and everyone else trying to figure out where this all originated. But back in January, back in January of 2020, Mm -hmm. you had Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, saying two things. First, 
that this is a serious pandemic. They wouldn't be welding people in their homes if China wasn't sincerely nervous about what they've got going on in their country. And two, it's his assumption that this has something to do with a lab leak and not some bat soup, as everybody had said. Let's play the audio. They also claimed for almost two months until earlier this week that it had originated in a seafood market in Wuhan, that locals had contracted it from animals in, say, bat soup or snake tartare. That is not the case. The Lancet published a study last weekend demonstrating that of the original 40 cases, 14 of them had no contact with the seafood market, including patient zero. As one epidemiologist said, that virus went into the seafood market before it came out of the seafood market. We still don't know where it originated. Could have been another seafood market. Could have been a farm. Could have been a food processing company. I would note that China, or that Wuhan also has China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that works with the world's most deadly pathogens to include, yes, coronavirus. Dude, what's, what's the date on that speech? It's like that that speech was from January 31st, 2020. Wow. I mean, look, dude, here's the thing. I enjoy politicians of all stripes. I like being entertained by politicians. As a conservative in this particular moment in time when every institution is against you, how fucking refreshing is it to get a guy who just absolutely shoots the rifle through the eye of all of every and day one? I, I mean, I said this before. So like, <clears throat> there's a lot of, I, I think, great qualities about Tom Cotton, but his consistency, his consistency, he doesn't care. So he, he, he broke down facts, folks. You just heard straight from the horse's mouth. He broke down facts. This is, this is, this is two months or at least a month and a half before this country went down on lockdown. Like we didn't know what to expect, but Tom Cotton did. And, and, and that's huge. I mean, it, it's beyond knowing what to expect. It's about trust, right? So the media, the media put all of their trust on like liberal activists and whatever. And they're like, listen, folks, if you try to, if you try to call out China for this cover up. So uh, let me, let me step back a second. There was this great front line on the cover up that the Chinese government executed when, 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 when COVID first showed up, right? They did everything in their power to slow it down so that the world didn't know about this. The world couldn't develop any sort of a test to, 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 to check for COVID. And they acted like everything was fine. That's who the media put their trust in. Tom Cotton put his trust in the facts. There's one virology lab of this caliber there. The, the, the employees there, now, now we're hearing, were sick, right? And the whole time last year, uh, you're being told, wow, this is, this is a crazy conspiracy theory. This is a very racist thing to say. And now they're trying to gaslight us into being like, oh, you know, the media didn't ever say any of that. The media now thinks, hey, we should look into that lab. Dude, so unbelievable. But, but the specifics of how the mainstream media would combat for the Chinese spin, I don't think have fully been appreciated. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Christopher Bedford at The Federalist wrote a piece today that caught my eye. It was on um, Real Clear Politics because he, he gathered a few of the headlines. 
And the New York Times wrote literally this headline, Senator Tom Cotton repeats fringe theory of coronavirus origins. Wow. I mean, huh? Like this is, now we know this all to be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the only virology lab they had there. You have employees getting sick. And you know what the ultimate kicker is? Is, uh, you know, the ultimate weather vein we got. Fauci's like, you know what? Now we should look into this. Of yeah. course. I mean, of well, course. No, but he was on the other side of it. He was on the other side of it. Listen to some more of these headlines. So Saliza at CNN writes, Tom Cotton is playing a dangerous game with coronavirus speculation. Wow. Right? They've got, they've got, I mean, I encourage you guys to, to go look at this Federalist, uh, Federalist piece because he's gathered basically a two-month synopsis of what everybody was saying after Cotton gave that speech. And the consensus from Fauci in, included was that Cotton was a crackpot. So here's the thing is I recall very clearly, uh, this is when COVID had hit. Um, when Tom Cotton, uh, said that China needs to be held accountable. Um, and, and someone's like, what do you mean? And I tweeted around, I was like, it means China must pay their government very clearly had instituted a cover up for this, uh, you know, pandemic that's disrupted the entire planet. Like, I don't need to go into, uh, the disruption that we have had in our lives over the past year plus. Right. And journalists instantly begin attacking him. This is a year ago. They're like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? China must pay. Like right now, folks, like, thank God we've got the vaccine. You know, we're starting to, we're starting to bounce back, but we have to be crystal clear. This was the fault of the Chinese government and Tom Cotton is pretty, you know, he called them out despite knowing, I mean, the entire left, the entire media class attacked him and he was right. I mean, he, he was right. Let me just read a few more of these headlines. Tom Cotton flogs conspiracy theory dismissed by actual scientists. Oh, Daily there we go again. Right? MSNBC, Tom Cotton's veiled threats that really aren't helping. Right? Yeah. Tom Cotton in the, vi- in the virus conspiracy theory. Wow. Vanity Fair. Right? Tom Cotton's fringe theory. In the Washington Post. Forbes, Tom Cotton ramps up anti-China rhetoric. Okay. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's their, uh, there you go. That's their card is, you know, whenever the left can't win an argument based on, on, on the facts, based on the data, they're like, oh, wow, this must be like bigotry. 100%. Like the Chinese government is trying to cover this up. Wow. Uh, if you try to call them out, that is bigotry. I, Unbelievable. I, yeah, huge kudos to, to Tom Cotton because in the face of all of that, like always, he just stands tall. I basically have two conclusions about this. First of all, if the biggest development in the last, basically since 9-11 in this world is so easily swept under the rug by a mainstream media who to this day, to this moment, is not actively investigating this, and is, it has actively tried to swat down questions about it, 
um, we're in a bad place. We're in a really bad place. But sec- secondly, Tom Cotton is somebody you've got to take very seriously. Last thing I want to say on that. <clears throat> so I pulled up this article when I was looking up, trying to dunk on the journos. Uh, this is from Arkansas Online. And folks, this is from January 31st of 2020. Quote, this coronavirus is a catastrophe on the scale of Chernobyl for China. But actually, it's probably worse than Chernobyl, which was localized in its effect. The coronavirus could result in a global pandemic. <laughs> That's like a mic drop now in hindsight. It's awful mm-hmm. it came to this. Can I, I know we, we want to move on, but I want to read you one more headline. From Anthony Fauci just crushed Donald Trump's theory on the origins of coronavirus. I, <laughs> wish, I wish I was the agent negotiating his book deal because that cut is going to be sick. <laughs> so I, I, I have to add something there. And apologies if my audio isn't as good. Now I lost wi-fi in my home during the storm and had to reconnect to the zoom through my phone so make fun of me all you guys want but that's what just happened here okay well i don't see a storm so i I appreciate the commodore 64 (laughs) nevertheless let's hear the take duncan well so i mean it's one thing to countervail tom cotton's takes on the origins of the coronavirus but the American media went much further than that. I mean, they were carrying water for the CCP, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, in saying that they, they, they beat COVID. They crushed COVID. America, Donald Trump failed. I mean, Max Boot wrote an opinion piece to that effect in, in the Washington Post, where he said, I mean, it, it, it's absurd. It's absurd. The headline was China is beating the coronavirus while Trump leads America to defeat. Oh my God. Incredible. You know, this is the same China that like doesn't report coronavirus deaths for six months where it's just a little flat line on, on the ticker. It, These guys the are the worst. Media, yeah. They're the worst. These people are the worst people in the world because they're not, they're not only wrong they're leading everyone to believe that they're so smart and that you're so dumb to believe anything else. It's just incredible. God, I, yeah, lo, lo and behold, lo and behold, the people who are, you know, in China who are getting soldered into their homes, you know, maybe their government's not telling the truth. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you need to weld people into their homes, your government's not interested in your best interest. And that's who the media defend. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's basically the entirety of what America has been up against. And I will just say, before we end this segment, the United States of America has done an incredible job, as it always has, against every single obstacle that has ever been presented. It started with President Trump. The people of this country have sought through with vaccinations and everything else. But if you look at just a, a Canada, right, which is a 
similarly situated country that deals with the same environmental issues that we do, that is caught in its complete insanity of socialized healthcare. It can't get anybody vaccinated. It can't get anybody back in business or, or any sort of economy open at all. They're a disaster of a country. They won't let Americans back in. Think to yourself, like, how lucky are you to be involved in this country, to be born into this country, to live in this country, and isn't it worth fighting for? Yep. You know? That's it. You're born a few, few hundred miles to the north, and you got a real problem. Real problem. Anywho, um, I want to move on here because there are – several issues worth dealing on. Um, but one of, one of which is just like, it, we can't stop talking about it. Businesses in this country doubling down on wokeness. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an article in CNBC and I, I'm going to take credit for this at Ruthless. You should. I mean, we started early carving, carving on businesses that, that started in on this wokeness routine as it pertained to the Georgia voting law. And it turns out it had some effect because businesses are the most cowardly. Some of these businesses are the most cowardly outfits on the face of the planet. They became concerned with the partisan outrage over their woke positioning. So here's the, here's the headline. Business leaders take their election law fights behind the scenes after Republican te- Republicans attack. <laughs> That's the narrative. Their problem is not what they're doing. It's that, oh boy, we need to, we need to make this secret. Yeah. Yikes. Huh? Yikes. Corporate leaders are now fighting behind the scenes against new Republican-supporting voting laws that they consider too restrictive following repeated attacks from GOP leaders and well-funded allies. I mean, that, that, that's the thing is, you know, if you actually try to institute any reasonable, reasonable things in place, uh, you know, I keep going back to during COVID, you had all these Dem governors who passed these in, these measures that like, okay, it's, it's during a pandemic, so we are required to have like ballot harvesting and all these ballot drop-off locations and ballot curing and everything. And it's like, uh, they want to keep that forever now. They want to keep that forever. And so when you try to have common sense regulations of like, hey, you know, what a radical idea. You got to have an ID to have a beer. You got to have an ID to vote. They're going to be like, oh, no, no, not a law. No, no, certainly not. But the best, well, I, I think, mean- I think it's worth, I think it's worth pointing out that this effort is being organized by the Brennan Center. There you go. There it is. And, 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 and the Brennan Center, if, for our listeners here, is funded by Piero Madire. Mm-hmm. He's the, uh, you know, billionaire from eBay who, lo and behold, funds the whole never trump movement so when you see these republicans quote unquote republicans siding with the democrats on hr1 and claiming that republicans are are passing voter restriction bills 
and Jim Crow 2.0, so-called Republicans, so, so-called conservatives, just know they, they know how their bread is buttered by Piero Madire, the same guy funding all this bullshit. Yeah. Smug, don't you think there's a certain gravitas that comes with his sort of like 1980s audio feel? I mean, it's funny. It's like, uh, uh, you know, it actually, it's kind of nostalgic hearing a guy record a podcast from a Nintendo. <laughs> Unbelievable. These are the Start ones merch. I go for the listeners, and, I, and, and, and all I get is, is, is sass. Where's our merch? Yeah, I'm like listening to him. He's got, he's got great content, but it's like, okay. Wasn't he the guy that was lecturing us about being boomers? Right. Right. I feel like he was. <laughs> no, I'm going to get you guys back. I'm going to get sounds, you back for this. It sounds great, Edward R. Murrow. Keep it up. <laughs> The, the, merch, the merch is going to take it, – it's like when Trump says the wall just got 10 feet higher. The merch just took 10 days longer. Wow. <laughs> Brutal. Walter Cronkite, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you, you know the last thing I want to get into before we get to this great interview? Uh, and, and, and also, it should be unsurprising. It's, it should be very unsurprising. Folks, we got a New Jersey Democrat embroiled in a corruption scandal. Nature's healing. <laughs> Nature's healing. But here's, here's why this particular one just chaps my effing hide. Mm-hmm. So this cat, Tom Malinowski, am I pronouncing this idiot's name right? Malinowski? Mm-hmm. So the AP reports that uh, he bought or sold as much as a million dollars of stock in medical and tech companies that had stake in virus response, right? Mm-hmm. So this cat was, I mean, you remember the whole uproar that ultimately uh, proved to be untrue about like Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue about how they were sort of like trading stocks to try to benefit off the pandemic. And then ultimately everybody found out that it was a management company that they didn't pull the strings on. Yep. So, well, that's not the case with this cat. <laughs> this cat ended up doing his own trades, trading medical device, apparently all kinds of different stuff, PPE, whatever, that had to do with the pandemic response as a member of Congress, as he's being briefed on all of this. But this is why I just absolutely love it. This guy did a... Duncan, what was it like a like a Zoom call with donors for some outfit? Yeah, it was it was some activist Zoom or Teletown Hall Zoom. Yeah. So this cat, I mean, dude, this is just perfect because it's a perfect nexus of all all of liberal idiocy all in one. So in the midst of the pandemic, there was this bizarre sort of urgency from the Democratic left to pass HR1, which they called election security before 2020, because Russia, of course, right? Always. Yeah. So they're doing this, they're doing this big sort of, you know, call with activists saying like, man, you really got to get on these Republicans because they've got to pass what we now know is HR1 full of these like democratic fraud provisions 
uh, because otherwise uh, Russia will steal the election. So this guy says, you know, we're going to hold up the Lysol to Kentucky until you pass the election security bill. And he says that about, about Mitch McConnell, right? So what he was saying at the time was there, what he would like to do was stop shipments to Kentucky of antibacterial, uh, whether it be spray or wipes, in the midst of a pandemic until they pass a Democratic voting bill that allows you to basically cheat in an election. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he said he was joking, but I mean, what a fucking ghoul this loser is. Complete but ghoul. Not, but how do you conceptualize that joke? How do you conceptualize no, I mean, like, that joke? No, right. Right. In the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that's what this guy was doing. He was, he was serious, and that's what he was doing. But while he was doing all of that, he was also buying and selling stocks that would make him millions of dollars, evidently. Yep. What a complete... I, look, this guy's name is Tom Malinowski. Make him famous. He's from New Jersey. If you have the capacity to vote against this guy... Vote against this guy. If Bingo. you have the capacity to contribute to his uh, opponent, Republican opponent, do it. We're yep. going to send along more information. This is one of the worst people on earth. This guy sucks. <laughs> and if you are from Kentucky, my God, if you have two nickels to rub together, get on it. Because he, he, he basically wanted to kill you. Yeah, pretty much. Because, because Democrats weren't winning enough elections. Right. That's the thing, is, is they have to keep rigging it, and, and they have to be allowed to be corrupt and do whatever they want. That's basically, that's, that's our platform, honestly. What an asshole. Anyway, okay, let's get to this interview. It's a good one. Uh, Calvin, Kevin Falconer, he's the mayor of San, was the mayor of San Diego, and uh, he's running for governor in California. I want to welcome to the program the former mayor of San Diego and current candidate for governor, Kevin Faulkner. Kevin, how are you? Josh, I'm doing great. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Listen, San Diego, man, you must be a good a Padres guy, huh? <laughs> well, that's an understatement, Josh, and uh, that would be the National League West leading Padres, by the way. But uh, yeah, it's more fired up. All of these years, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great, a great start. Yeah, you listen. You suffered for uh, for decades with the Padres. You had Tony Gwynn and not a bunch else for a long time. So this is well deserved. Patience, patience. <laughs> oh yeah, it's been. Uh, I mean, just to see. I mean, you look at the uh, just the, the talent, and you know, obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. He's uh, lighting it up. Yeah, yeah. No, he's incredible. All right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, you may have heard that we encountered a little unpleasantness on the program last week with one of your opponents, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who was scheduled to be on the program, basically didn't show up. And one of the central tenets of Ruthless this year is that we are believers that we've got to be done screwing around. We don't need sideshows. We need serious people to fight what the left is up to. And as soon as we sort of made that statement, we had a whole bunch of people in California reach out to us to say, have you checked out Mayor Kevin Falconer? Because this might be the guy. So here we are. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, you know, look, first and foremost, I could be on my deathbed and I would not miss my 
interview with Ruthless. I so, love it. You know, I'm look, I'm never gonna disappoint the legions of minions. So the first Wonderful. and foremost, let's just let's just get that straight. <laughs> That'll be well received. <laughs> um, all right. So look, uh, California is what it is, right? The rest of the country sort of looks at it as falling off the left-hand side of the map, both literally and figuratively. Uh, politically speaking, Democrats are uh, in a solid control. But, you know, stranger things have happened in recall elections, and obviously Governor Gavin Newsom is not at the height of his popularity. So, so ballpark this out, Mayor. You, you chose to run here. What's the path to victory? Well, look, and I think you hit the nail on, on the head in terms of uh, the demographics. But look, I, I've done it before twice in San Diego, Josh, a, you know, a deep blue city in a deep blue state. And in fact, if you look at the registration, uh, Republican registration in, in San Diego, uh, it mirrors that of California. So we have about 25% Republican registration. Uh, I won with 54% of the vote and got reelected with 58% of the vote. How do you do that? You build coalitions. You win by addition. Uh, that was the key for how we did it in San Diego, and that's how we're going to do it statewide. Uh, and look, an understatement, Josh, to say, you know, Newsom's popularity, right? I mean, yeah, the right. fact of the matter is uh, people of all walks of life here in California, uh, every part of the state and, and every political persuasion um, are tired of it. They're, they're tired of what one party rule has meant to California for the last decade. Uh, you know, exploding homelessness. Uh, the fact that, you know, we were one of the worst when it came to opening and shutting our economy multiple times, constantly changing the metrics during what we've all had to go through, rising crime. And we, we can touch on all of these, but I, I think what you're seeing is a real frustration, uh, a real frustration, obviously, at the top in one party rule. And as I said, I, I had to, you know, I, I had to go out and win that argument publicly as mayor and then win the vote. And that's exactly what I'm going to do for this campaign for governor. Was there a moment over the last year? I mean, there got, there's got to be many because Newsom has just been a complete disaster. But was there a moment over the last year where you said to yourself, man, if, if they actually recall this guy, I'm totally in? Well, I was, I was going to be prepared to get in. But I, I will tell you, there was no doubt, Josh, that, that when he did the French laundry, that, that just yeah. set everybody in California you know, in orbit. Because look, at the height of everybody trying to do the right thing, all of the restrictions, you know, to see how, how that happened and how it went down, uh, that, that was just the final straw, I think, for, for so many, you know, Californians on top of all of the other issues that, you know, that, that, are, that are out there and are real. So that, you know, that frustration, that anger, I mean, that, that was, there's no doubt that the French Laundry was the spark, but man, the, the fire that continues to rage for so many Californians you know, particularly the fact, Josh, that, you know, our, our public schools are still not fully reopened in, yep. in California. Newsom just doesn't get it. He's out of touch. And I think that's why you saw two million Californians sign the recall petition. And look, <laughs> these are Republicans, Democrats and independents who said, uh-uh, it's time for a change. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the schools. I mean, basically, the only thing you hear about California schools at this point is, is various attempts to rename them, right? I mean, it's, you're getting no attention. And I, wasn't it in Southern California where it basically they, they brought teachers back to, wasn't it to teach illegal immigrants or something while the public schools were still closed? Yeah, all, all of the above. And, and in fact, I, I opened my campaign a couple months back in Los Angeles outside a closed public school 
And on the very corner across the street, Joss, was an open private school where <laughs> teachers were safely teaching, kids were in the, in the classroom safely learning. Why? Because those schools report to parents, but yet our public schools here in California that ultimately report to Gavin Newsom uh, have not remained fully open. And it's, it's shocking. And in fact, I went up to San Francisco to kind of you know, buttress your point. And I stood and did a press conference outside of Abraham Lincoln High School. And I said, instead of trying to change the name of this high school, why don't we actually try to get the kids and the teachers back in the, the high school? <laughs> what a very next concept. Yeah, I mean, re revolutionary, right? <laughs> and, and so, you know, the very two days later, the San Francisco Chronicle came out with an editorial saying it was a, just a disgrace what was happening. And, and that's, you know, that's the type of, I think, real, real, uh, you know, anger that we're tapping into, frustration that we're tapping into, Democrats, Republicans, independents, let's make a change. Let's get our state back on track because what we have is our state government has been a captive to the far left. That does not, I repeat, does not represent who we are as Californians. Yeah, well, and, and I say this, by the way, not just as a, as a candidate for governor, but I say this as a dad with two kids in public schools. Right, right, right. No, I mean, it's, it's an excellent point. One of the things that I don't think has gotten enough attention uh, in California that certainly gets attention nationally is the fact that basically every state in the union, or at least every red state in the union, is doing its best to recruit every business out of California uh, because the various tax regulatory structure, everything is yeah. just sort of targeting private enterprise. Is that a, is that a core concern of yours? Huge. Uh, and, and the numbers, you know, people are voting with their feet, Josh. Yeah. Uh, look, for the first time in California, we're losing population. As you know, we lost a congressional seat this year. And, you know, people are very familiar, Josh, with the big companies that are leaving, right? I mean, you know, Hewlett Packard, uh, you know, Tesla, we, we can go down the list. But I can't tell you how real it is, how so many other companies are actively looking to leave our great state. Why? Because it's too expensive. It's too unaffordable. Uh, and that is one of the huge fears um, that I think you're seeing so many businesses going that uncertainty and the what you get out of Sacramento here Josh every every cycle is we want to raise more taxes and we want people to send more money to Sacramento and we literally have tens of billions of dollars in a surplus right now and they're still talking about raising taxes which is why I came out just two weeks ago with the largest proposed middle-class tax cut in California history it's time to actually let people keep more of that money here if we don't we're gonna to continue to see what we're seeing, Josh. Folks are leaving because it's too expensive and too unaffordable to live and raise a family in California. Yeah, that's 100% correct. I mean, everything you said is absolutely right on. I guess my biggest question is, you know, have, have, has the business community in California been so beaten down that they are sort of unable to respond at all? And, and, and what I mean by that is nationally, obviously the rise of sort of woke corporatism yeah. Right. has got everybody's attention, but this has been happening in California forever. I mean, are folks who are employing people sort of at the edge where they're willing to fight back, or are we just going to keep on sliding here? Well, I think folks are ready to fight. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you look at what we just saw here in, in California this past November, you know, they put on the largest proposed property, commercial property tax increase in California history. Uh, and voters said no. And I helped lead that charge. Why it would have just added insult to injury for you know, virtually every small business in California that has to pay that. Uh, it could have been the death knell for them. 
And so I think you're, you're starting to see the pendulum swing back, which is again, why I've said, we actually have to keep more money in people's pockets. And that's why, you know, the middle-class tax cut that we unveiled, it, it, the time is ripe. It's going to, you know, impact everybody in, in real terms. I mean, look, we, we have Newsom going around out here in California saying, hey, I want to give everybody a $600 check, a one-time check. I'm saying, no, we need lasting real tax relief every single year. And the amount that we're talking about is enough for, you know, eight months of a utility bill or eight months of groceries, 92 tanks of gas, you know, here that's, we're, we're talking about, let's turn this thing around. We have to be more competitive as a state. And to do that, we have to make California more affordable. And we need a governor that understands that we have a problem to begin with uh, and not be afraid to, to step up and point it out and actually do something about it. So how does the structure of this campaign work for our listeners who haven't followed California recalls uh, before? It's a two-step process, right? You're asked two questions, whether you want to recall the current governor, and then secondly, would you replace that person with? Yeah. Is that, is that basically add a layer of difficulty, or is it, is it a little easier for you to make the case against Gavin Newsom and thereby making the case for yourself? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, and you got it right. I mean, the first question, yes or no, on, on the recall, and then the second part, uh, you know, you'll have all of the list of all the other candidates. This being California, Josh, we are going to have a very yeah. long list of candidates. Uh, the, th the threshold to put your name on the ballot is uh, uh, pretty low. Uh, the last recall election, just as an example, we had 100 people running. Um, but I'll tell you, what, what I think, why, and why we're able to, to cut through out here is because Obviously, my, my track record as mayor of, of San Diego, uh, somebody who, as I said, a proud Republican who's been elected twice in the second largest city in California, who actually got real reforms, right? The, the guy that said, we're actually going to do things differently for homelessness. We're the only big city in California where we actually reduced it by double digits. I did not allow tent encampments on the sidewalk in San Diego. I will tell you, Josh, that is a huge issue because uh, it's exploding and virtually every other city across the state. I'm also the guy that, even though I had hundreds of protesters out in front of my house, nights on end, yelling at you know, every name at the book at me and my family and defund the police, I increased the police budget by 7%. And I think what people are looking for is they want somebody who's gonna stand up, not talk, just try to be woke and politically correct, but somebody who can actually provide real solutions to the issues that Californians are so upset about. And again, these are Californians that are Democrats, independents, all walks of life that say, Gavin Newsom ain't getting it done. I want somebody else who's going to come in there, stand up, do the right thing, and make some damn decisions, and let's get our state back on track. I like it. I like it. So um, I want to uh, get to how people can help you out if they want to. And, you know, look, from my perspective, anytime you have a Republican mayor of a major city in America, you must be doing something right because there's not a lot of them left. Uh, so, so congrats in that regard, but I got to get to three big questions, mayor, which the minions will judge you harshly. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, so the first one is your last meal on earth. If you can pick it, what is it? Carne asada burrito, extra guac. <laughs> we got to throw in a margarita too, though. So. You got to throw in a margarita. Yeah. It's your last meal. If you don't have one and, of those, you're missing out. And you got to have the extra guac, Josh. Got to have the extra guac. <laughs> is there a particular spot in San Diego that you pick this up, or are you just saying your style, you make it at home? It's you. Oh, it's never at home, Josh. <laughs> you yeah. always go out, brother. So it's, it's Roberto's, it's Tony's. It's, there's so many great spots here. That's the beauty of, of San Diego. Best carne asada in the state, bar none. 
I love it. Okay. All right. Good answer. Second question. If you weren't involved in politics at all, what would you be doing with your life? Uh, well, I think the, the question that I would absolutely want to be doing is first baseman for the Padres. That job is go. taken. So <laughs> I could probably be a bullpen catcher because I think they get the championship ring too. So a hundred percent. I've always said the, <laughs> I've always said the best job in the world is middle relief pitching. <laughs> right? Because it's they never bring you in if the game is is got a problem, right? You're either up by a lot, you're down by a lot, you're just there to eat some innings. That's how it rolls, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. All right, all right, that makes sense. So here's the final question. Third question is what motivates you more, Mayor? The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Thrill of victory. Thrill of victory. And I will tell you, Josh. The, the momentum that uh, we have right here in, in California, now that this recall has qualified, people know it's game on. The reason we're gaining so much strength, because people know we're going to win. Uh, we have the opportunity right here, I think, to shock this country. Uh, we're ready to elect a Republican governor in one of the deepest blue states in this country. Uh, that's why I think our campaign has you know, got, got so much spark to it. So this is all about building that effort, my friend. And I will tell you, I've never been more excited uh, this is game on. We can do it in California. And for folks that want to help and learn more about what we're doing, you can go to the website, kevinfaulkner.com. And hey, I'm fired up. We're about six months out from turning this state around. That's perfect. Mayor Kevin Faulkner, you can find him at kevinfaulkner.com. Is that right? That's the website? It is indeed. All right. Listen, this is, a, this is a great time for you to be on. The Minions are very excited about California. It sounds to me like you've got your stuff together. Good luck, sir. Thank you for joining us. Josh, thank you. Look forward to coming back. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mayor. So the, the thing you've got that just pops off by, of the page, by the way, he's a listener. And Huge. he has great respect for the minions. Yeah. And, and, and he shows up. I mean, what a radical idea. Again, hey, if you tell someone you're going to be there, you be there. You know, it's some, there's something to be said in this day and age where we find ourselves in the Republican Party where you got to find competent people who are capable of executing conservative ideals, right? Is this guy probably like your, your, you know, perfect definition of what you want in Alabama or Mississippi or, you know, wherever in a red state? No, probably not. But he's worth getting behind in California. Right. Definitely worth getting behind in California. Check him out. I like it. So, I mean, that's, again, I have to reiterate, thank you so much, Kevin Faulkner, for showing up. It's crazy that that has to be a thing, but hey, you know, some folks actually don't show up when they say they will. Uh, another banger of an episode, folks. So, until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>